Good morning and welcome to our service here at Midway this morning. We're so thankful that you're here. We have a number of guests today and we we want you to know that you're welcome. We want to get to meet you and to know you and and hope that you'll hang around just a few minutes after we get finished today so that we can get to meet you and know you. Also, remember to be back with us tonight for our evening service and then following that we'll have our trunk or treat. It's always a, a fun time for the kids. Uh, whether they're young or whether they're older. And so we enjoy that as sometimes as much as the young folks do, and we hope that you'll stay for that tonight. Then following that, we'll have our soups and chilies and things like that following uh, the trunk or treat. May I share with you this morning a fact? Life hurts. Now you may be looking on the back of the bulletin today, and you can go ahead and put that one down. We're not going to be using that lesson. We have changed in midstream here today and not even going to have a PowerPoint this morning. We're just going the old-fashioned way and we want to talk about some things because life hurts. What do you do when life hurts so bad that you think you can't make it anymore? When there are so many things that are facing you, when, when things are like baseball bats that hit you between the eyes and, and it becomes so overwhelming that it seems almost utterly unbearable. I don't know particularly how to answer that from my own experience. I have gone through things in life that, that are stressful, but as I think about it today, I'm reminded of one who did go through it. And I want to think about him and how he handled the agony which he had in his life. In answering how we face life when it is so tough, we reflect back on the night before Jesus was crucified. We want to talk about him and how he handled the stress that was in his life. As we begin our lesson today, I want you to think about the mental condition of Jesus on the night before his crucifixion. You know, when we begin reading passages out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and and we think about the Lord, I, I sometimes think we do ourselves injustice because when we just have a casual reading of those verses, we, we don't truly get the impact that the events were having on our Lord. If we, if we don't look into it and look at it in detail, we don't grasp the, 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 the deep, agony that he had in his own life. Look at a passage with me from the book of Matthew chapter 26. Look at verses 37 and 38. The Bible says, "...and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is sorrowful even unto death. Remain here and watch with me." I can read those words and I can say, well, Jesus, Jesus was hurting that night. He, he, was, he had some sorrow in his heart and he was troubled. But if I go and I, I research the words that are used in the original language and, and I begin to, to, to see the depth of the agony that he had here in this passage, it brings a whole new picture to my mind. When I look at that word sorrowful and I dig down into it, I understand that it means to become affected with sadness, to be caused grief, to be thrown into sorrow. 
But then I look at the word troubled and, and I think about what it means to me, but, but when I see it in its original form and I begin to look at the definition of the original word, it means literally to be overwhelmed with anguish. It was the word used by the Greeks to, uh, to denote the most, so, most extre- extreme anguish which a soul can feel. It was the excruciating pain that someone would have in his mind. And then we see that term sorrowful even unto death. That particular term, it literally explains the other two. Jesus was going through so much that unless the situation changed, he literally would die. And we know that he did by the hands of the Romans and by the hands of the Jews. And so as we look at it, we see the deep mental anguish that he had in his mind. Look at Mark chapter 14, verses 33 and 34. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. The word translated trouble there means to throw into terror or amazement to alarm thoroughly or to terrify. Jesus seemed to be terrified of the things, the events that he was about to face. It again says that he was deeply distressed and is exceedingly sorrowful. Look at Luke's account of the same events. In Luke chapter 22, Brother Randy read verses 39 through 44, but pay close attention to verse 44 again at this time. The Bible says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. That word translated agony means to struggle for victory. It was a a gymnastic exercise. That's what it described. And it had to do with the mental anguish, the mental struggles, the emotions, the agony, the anguish that our Lord had that night. Vincent's word study says, literally, though very awkwardly, it's having become in an agony, having progressed from the first prayer that is mentioned in verse 41 of that passage into an intense struggle in prayer and sorrow that he had on on that night. Just how bad was the stress that was placed upon Jesus that night? Dr. Luke tells us that As Jesus was praying that night, he prayed so hard that he sweated. But not only did he perspire that night, the Bible speaks about how he he sweated as it were great drops of blood. Dr. C. Truman Davis, in his work, A Physician Examines the Crucifixion of Christ, says that sometimes physicians, doctors struggle with what happened to Jesus on that night. They don't understand it, but he says... What all they need to do is look at the medical literature and the medical literature describes a a medical condition known as hematidrosis in which the capillaries literally burst due to the stress placed upon the person. The middle anguish placed upon the person causes the body itself to react. And the capillaries will themselves explode and, and those little tiny blood vessels, they, they begin to leak so that it's picked up and the sweat, the perspiration, begins to look as though it has blood mixed with it. 
Dr. Luke, he describes the stress that Jesus was under that night as being so great that Jesus himself sweated this, this, had this medical condition, this hematidrosis, as it's called. I've never been under that much stress. I, I, I've sometimes, as you, sweated because of things that were going to happen and take place, but I've never been under that much stress. How did my Lord handle it? That's the question. And if I can learn how He handled it and follow His example, maybe my life will be enriched and blessed and be better because of it. Maybe in just a few minutes that we have this morning together, share four things with you that Jesus did in order to handle this mental anguish, this agony that He was going through on that night the things that led up to it and the things that were happening on that night. Number one, my Lord realized that there were some things even He could not change. Look at a verse with me in the book of John, chapter 12, verse number 27. Jesus makes this statement. He says, My soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. Jesus says, I, need, I, I could pray to the Lord to change it. And by the way, He did. If it was the Father's will, let this cup pass from me. But there in John chapter 12, He says, I've come to this hour, and really and truly, could I pray, change it? Jesus knew the answer to that. He knew that if you and I had any hope whatsoever of salvation that he had to endure what he was going through. And he knew that he left heaven and left everything that he had there. And Paul talks about in the book of Philippians how that he didn't count it robbery to be equal with God, but he gave it up and came down here for us. Jesus knew that everything depended upon him and going through what he had to face. And he knew he couldn't change it. There's some things in our life that no matter how worried we become about them, no matter how much we try to avoid them, no matter how much we wish we could change them, go back into the past and, and make different decisions, we can't change them. My Lord realized that, and sometimes it's a struggle for us to realize that, to grasp the fact that we don't have control. We can't manipulate Every minute of our life and everything that we have in our life. And we need to come to terms with that. There are things that we can't change. Not even my Lord could change that night what He Himself must endure. Number two, in order for Jesus to get through what He was going through, He asked His friends to stand by His side. Notice again with me in the book of Mark, chapter 14, verses 32 through 41. We're not going to take time to read it, but if you have your Bible, you may open it up. It's there that, that Jesus struggles with his friends. He carries his apostles with him. Judas has left. He is, he is betraying him. He's leading the, uh, the enemies there to take Jesus away. But, but he carries with him his apostles and... and, and his three special friends that he had, Peter, James, and John, 
He carries them with Him a little farther and He asks them to pray with Him and to pray for Him and to be watchful in, in all of the things that are associated with that. They go to sleep. Jesus comes back. Can't you stay awake? Does it three times, the Bible tells us. Finally, that third time He comes back and and they have to make some, some different arrangements. They leave because Jesus has finished praying. Judas is there. But friends, friends to stand by our side. Aren't you glad that we have church friends? You know, I've often sat in waiting rooms of hospitals and sat with church members who have uh, uh, undergone or are undergoing surgeries and, and to look across the... The, the, the waiting room and to see maybe one person sitting waiting on a husband or a wife to have surgery and not a soul with them. And I've even witnessed doctors who had to tell them that their, their person that they were there with that they didn't make it, that they did not survive an accident or something of that nature. No one was there. Isn't it wonderful to have family members and church family to help us go through the difficult times of our life? You know, sometimes even friends, though, can be discouraging, can't they? Just in the case of Jesus, when, when His friends went to sleep, and, and, you know, friends may not know the answer, and, and you may be one trying to stand beside another, and, and you don't know the answer, Sometimes it's best just to stand there with them in silence, to pray with them. Sometimes, you know, it's better to keep our mouths closed. And even though we don't know the answers, we can still be there for folks. And we need to be. And that's what a part of what God had in mind for with His church. We need to remember that friends, even though they can be discouraging at times, they still want to help. Don't forget on that night that prior to their going to the garden that Jesus had said, hey, you know, know what's going to happen. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna deny me. And Peter said, oh no, not me. I will die with you, Lord. And you know what? I think Peter really believed that he would do that because what did he do when they came to arrest him? Arrest Jesus? He pulled out the sword that he had and started swinging it. He was going to take out as many as he could. He meant well. He wanted to help. He just did not have all of the answers. And that's the way we are sometimes. And we need to try, but we need to be there. Jesus asked his friends to be with him. Number three, Jesus prayed. He prayed. During this this agonizing time, he prayed. Look at Matthew chapter 26 at verse 39. That text simply says this, And going a little farther, he fell down on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Look at verse 42. Drop on down a little farther. Again for the second time, he went away, and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Look at verse 44. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed 
the third time, saying the same words again. Jesus wasn't fancy in his prayer. He laid out his heart before God. And he laid out his heart before God again. And he laid out his heart before God again. At least three times on that night, he prayed the same exact prayer. Jesus was facing the worst night of his life. And he prayed. You know what that shows? That shows his dependence on his Father. How dependent are we on our God? Do we think it's all in our hands? We've already said this morning there are some things even we cannot change because there were things even Jesus couldn't change. How dependent are we upon God? Do we wait on Him? Do we allow Him to be our helper? Jesus was under agony that night and He prayed to God. He prayed three times. Look at Luke 22, verse 43. And there appeared to Him an angel from heaven strengthening Him. Jesus lived in the time of the miraculous and so God did indeed, in fact, send an angel visibly and physically there to help Jesus that night. His dependence on God paid off. And so it will with us. God doesn't work on our time schedule. He doesn't answer things just because we request them. It must be in accordance with His will and He knows best. But I believe with all my heart when we depend upon Him that He will help us if we'll wait on Him. Sometimes we try to run ahead of Him. We try, to, we try to jump the gun. Even Abraham did that. And it didn't work. And it won't work with us. Jesus prayed, but in His prayer He showed His dependence on God. And by depending upon Him, God helped. Number four. Not only do you have Jesus as he prayed, but understand that Jesus faced what awaited him with courage. Mark chapter 14, verses 41 and 42, the Bible says, Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus is not saying, let's get out of here before they get here. Jesus prayed and waited there until they got there. Jesus knew what was facing him. He, he had no doubt in his mind. It had been clearly implanted in his mind even before he came to this earth what was going to happen to him. And he didn't get up and flee. He waited until they got there. He wasn't saying, let's run away. We need to be going. We must be going because they're here for me. 
It's in the book of John, chapter 18, verses 1 through 9, that we truly see the courageousness that Jesus had. It's there that we read how that when Judas came, he brought with him, according to verse number 3, a band of soldiers to arrest Jesus. And when I think about a band of soldiers, you know, it may be that I'm thinking of, well, maybe he had two or three with him, you know, that came. And like we would send uh, a sheriff's department, would send, you know, maybe three or four officers or somebody to, uh, to arrest somebody. But he says they had a band of soldiers with them. That word that's translated band is interesting according to what I can find out. Uh, Matthew renders that word as multitude on different occasions. He brought with him a multitude of soldiers. The, the word that John uses can refer, in, in the Roman way of speaking, it can refer to either anywhere from one-tenth to one-thirtieth of a legion of soldiers. A legion being 6,000 soldiers. So anywhere from 200 to 600 Roman soldiers came to arrest Jesus. Think about that. Judas leads them. 200 to 600 Roman soldiers come to arrest Jesus that night. But I can't help but notice what verse 6 says. When they're asking about Jesus, when they, they come to Him... And, and say, who is it? Which one? Judas betrayed him. He's standing there. Verse 6 says, When Jesus said to them, I am he. Watch this next part of that verse. They drew back and fell to the ground. Six hundred trained Roman soldiers don't clumsily fall backwards and fall down. The courage, the power, the authority with which Jesus faced his plight caused even these hardened soldiers to go down. That's amazing to me. You know, there are things in our lives that take more courage than we ever think we could muster. But usually somebody has already been through it. They've already faced down whatever it is that we will face in our life. And they faced it with courage. And perhaps even won the battle. And so we need to face the, the situations, the hurts, the distresses of life with courage. There are those probably in this audience today who are deeply distressed and troubled. Life seems so unfair. Life hurts. 
Every day is a struggle. Let me remind you of one passage. Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 7, speaking about Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him who was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Despite the struggle, the agony that Jesus went through, he faced it with courage. He had to endure all the way through the end. But he didn't have to endure alone. God heard him and was with him. For a brief moment, he had to turn his back to allow him to stay on that cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But then God raised him from the dead to be my Savior and yours. Jesus went through what he went through for you. Would you believe in Him? Repent of the sins that you have in your life. Make the great confession. Have your sins washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here and you've done that in the past, but something has stood between you and God. Won't you come back to Him? One who endured so much for you. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation today, do it right now as together we stand and sing.